this is where you come to hear tales of loss, redemption, salvation, perspectives, epiphanies, and self-evolution. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the glory in our stories. What up, TGOS listeners? Welcome to the latest episode of The Glory in Our Stories, where you get to hear individuals share their different experiences. On this episode, I'll be speaking with Miss Ashley M. Jones, an award-winning poet and author who teaches in the creative writing department of the Alabama School of Fine Arts. Miss Jones just celebrated a momentous occasion, finally entering what we like to call the Dirty 30s. So happy birthday to her. Listen in as we discuss teaching under COVID-19 restrictions, experiencing personal loss during the pandemic, and writing for the bigger calls. Check it out. Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the latest episode of The Glory in Our Stories. I'm your host, Calvin Wayne Pennywell Jr. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of interviewing a, um, lack of a better term, fabulous um, poet, um, and I had the opportunity of sharing the stage with her and a friend of mine, uh, James Aaron Snow. Uh, maybe it's, has it been, has it been two, ye- two years? I think so, yeah. Wow. Going on two years. Um, but my guest is uh, Miss Ashley M. Jones. I'll just give you a brief a bio um, off, off her rap sheet. Um, she's a faculty member in the creative writing department of the Alabama School of Fine Arts. Uh, she received an MFA in poetry from Florida International University. Uh, she's the author of Magic City Gospel, it's a, a poetry book back in 2017, uh, which won the, won the Silver Medal of Poetry in 2017, Independent Publishers Book Awards. Uh, she's also the author of her uh, poetry book that came out in 2019 called Dark Thing. And she's also, also had poems uh, appeared in several and I mean several publications. And um, she has a huge presence on social media. Um, but she's always presenting something thought-provoking. And um, one thing that I personally enjoy witnessing is her enjoying life, uh, especially during this time. Um, so Ashley, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, for agreeing to be on the podcast. And um, of course, she recently celebrated uh, her Dirty 30. <laughs> um, so, um, um, did you do anything in particular for your birthday? Something that you look forward to? I know a lot of people have make plans for stuff like that because this is a one in a lifetime milestone. So, did, did you do anything in particular? Yeah, um, for my thirtieth, I had originally planned. You know, when we didn't have the pandemic staring us down, um, I had planned to throw a huge party, but that's honestly not really my style I've only had one birthday party in my whole life um and it was for my 27th I want to say or 28th and it was fun and all but I really like what I usually do which is hanging out with my family um so that's what I did I um 
did my usual tradition of taking pictures for my birthday. So I did that back in July. And, um, you know, I shared the pictures. Me and my mom made a birthday cake. Um, I held a reading on social media. And I just had a really good time at home with my family. Yeah. What you Do you feel, how, how have you been feeling, you know, doing this? Because, of course, we all have these certain restrictions as far as especially spending time with people that we care about. Mm-hmm. How are you able to um, navigate that? Do you, what type of personality are you? Are you an introvert, extrovert? Do you find it easier to be isolated or is this um, difficult? Yeah, I mean, I would describe myself as an introvert. Most people are surprised to hear that um, because I'm very uh, public, I guess you could say. Um, but I am an introvert. Um, I really enjoy spending time, you know, with myself, with my family, um, or just with a small group of people. Um, and although pre-pandemic I was very active, I was always out of town doing readings and stuff. And then I have a full-time job that I work and I run a nonprofit. Like I'm always busy. Um, but this time has really allowed me to reset and to um, just kind of plug back into the things that I truly enjoy, which are just, you know, hanging out with people who I love, aka my family, um, <laughs> and, um, you know, just choosing where I spend my energy instead of always just throwing it out there. Um, it's really been a restorative time. I mean, obviously, I wish it weren't under these circumstances yeah. um, because it's horrible, you know, um, to think about what's happening and, um, we actually lost um, one of our cousins to this virus, so it's not been, you know, all great. Um, but I always try to look at or look for some positive in every situation. And for me, this time has just been good to reset myself. And you know, going into my thirtieth year of life, I'm really trying to focus more on giving my time and energy to things that feed me, also instead of always just giving it you know to anybody yeah. um, my energy that is you uh, you said the perfect word which is reset mm-hmm. and that's that's what's been heavy on uh, my heart and I'm pretty certain a lot of other people because we have been constantly uh, a part of this cycle of ongoing and and doing everything habitually and probably not taking time for ourselves and to do things for ourselves that are a lot more healthy, things that are, that uh, feed into our overall overall wellness. And having this break, I know has caused me in the last five months uh, severe um, alternations um, as far as my character, uh, the way I think, my 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 uh, aspirations for the next few years, and. Um, yeah, like the way you describe that was is pretty much sums it up. And I, my condolences to your to your cousin. Um, Thank you. No problem. Like it's wow. Like it's 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 weird because back in February, when the rumors were going around, and you're like, oh, okay, this is. It's not a, a lot of us, and I I admit to it, I didn't take it as seriously because I didn't see, you know, people passing away, and. Uh-huh. I was telling Adrian, like, it's gotten to the point now that at this point, either one of us, if not, and most of us, if not all, 
know someone that has it mm-hmm. or had it or know someone that had it and passed away. Mm-hmm. Like it's getting closer and closer to home. So yeah. um, so how's, how has all of this affected you overall in the last five months? Um, I mean, it's been hard. I won't lie to you. It's definitely been difficult. Um, you know, of course, just generally before, um, you know, my cousin got sick, it was just really weird because um, we had to leave school, um, you know, kind of abruptly. Mm-hmm. We had a day to kind of prepare our students and say, okay, we're going to be going online. Here's the plan for the rest of the semester. Everything will be fine in the fall, um, which, of course, we should have known not to say that because none of us know, you know, what's going to happen in the next minute, you know. But yeah. as humans, we always try to act like we know. Um, and so it was, you know, kind of weird to transition that abruptly. Um, and then, of course, not being able to do certain events, like um, the festival that I run, um, we had to cancel everything Um because there was, you know, no way to gather people and risk their health, um, you know, so that kind of threw me off a little bit. And then, of course, when my cousin did get sick, not um, not too long after that, it was just very difficult to come to terms with the fact that he was gone and that we wouldn't even be able to attend the funeral because he um, lived in New York. And even if he lived here, honestly, people were still not having big funerals, and so there wasn't that chance to get closure through that sort of ceremony um so it's just been kind of difficult you know moving through that grief space and then of course um when george floyd was murdered um that threw another wrench into it um because i thought at least like maybe i i can not think about all the racial oppression for at least a couple of months because i'm focused on this health disparity but yeah um you know it happened and so that threw a whole other just how am I supposed to deal with anything, um, you know, into the picture? Um, but again, just I'm, by the same token, I'm glad that all this happened while I was kind of sequestered with my family because I didn't have to manage those emotions by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were able to sort of lean on each other through all of it. Um, so I'm just very grateful for that. Um, but yeah, it's definitely been up and down. Um, has not all been great and I realize that that's been one of the things that's pro- probably been on the, the back burner is people experiencing this by themselves um, literally and, and and I wouldn't even say figuratively just a lot of people probably don't have uh, the access to other people and I realized that somebody mentioned like the suicide, the, the possibility of suicide during this time. I'm like, it's, it's still happening mm-hmm. and it's still taking place, especially during this time because it, it is causing uh, an immense amount of uh, depression. Yo, thank you all for listening so far. Keep tuning in as we take a quick break and be right back. Yo, quick plug, I want to take this opportunity to share a small list of poetry books to check out, including those of some local artists. Look up Glitter Husk 
by Derek Berry from Aiken, South Carolina. Dress by Anna Harris Parker, who teaches at Augusta University. Pleroma, that's the first book. And the second book, Good Grief, An Immersive Experience by Leah Savant, AKA the activist artist. Resignation by yours truly, I published it earlier this year. And lastly, first book, Dark Thing, and second book, Magic City Blues by Miss Ashley M. Jones. Check out these collections of poetry. Trust me, you'll thank me later. And now, back to the episode. And um, but man, like experiencing the the ideal of having somebody pass away mm-hmm. and not being able to mourn them mm-hmm. traditionally, how much toll that can that can take on someone? Because I haven't, I have yet to lose anyone that close. But goodness, like I can only imagine how um, how big of a possible void that can create and like you said dealing with um, the whole thing oh man with uh, with Floyd and it's it's just a lot a lot has happened and you would think that the the worst of it would be this virus but it's still life that we have to deal with on the outside of that um as a as an educator, how has that affected you in relation to you know making sure your students get what they need, um, especially during the remaining of the semester and even going into the summer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean honestly, that was the third iron in the fire for me this summer. Um, <laughs> you know the virus, the um, you know racial unrest, or well the continuation of the racial unrest because as we know it didn't start this summer. Yeah. Um, been going on you know for centuries but mm-hmm. um then with the, the the discussion about schools that was definitely stressful for me as an educator um you know because i i'm a human first yeah i don't want to be in an unsafe environment i don't want my students to be in an unsafe environment i don't want my fellow faculty members or staff members to be in an unsafe environment and when i saw that the conversation about schools and reopening and how to best educate um, during this time, I saw the conversation going in a direction that I was not comfortable with, which is we should open no matter what and mm-hmm. just hope that nobody gets sick. That was just like red flag to me yeah. um, because as educators, we know how hard it is to keep our students away from each other just in a regular time period when there's no pandemic is very hard. Um, and we also know that during times of great distress, the comfort that we can provide at school um, can be helpful. But if all of us are, you know, wearing masks and shields and gloves and can't touch each other and are behind glass protectors, like that's a trauma in itself. Yeah. And so for me, it felt like, why would we compound the trauma in this way, spend time figuring out ways to make the situation manageable, quote unquote, um, you know, going to school when we could spend the time figuring out how to, um, you know, keep kids at home, but also make ways for parents who have jobs and won't let them stay at home. Like, I don't know, I just started wondering why did it become more important to just get back to normal than to find ways to make everyone um, able to do the safest thing, which is to not be in a school building 
Um, and so that was really difficult to sort of realize, not that I didn't know before, but to really realize um, how politicized even the education system is. And of course I knew that, but when it doesn't impact you directly, like you were saying about the virus, when you don't necessarily see it impacting your home or your life, you know, um, it's just a little different. So, I mean, I'm thankful that finally my school um, has decided to do the first eight weeks online. And, I mean, who are we kidding? We're probably going to be online for the whole semester, maybe the whole year. Yeah. Um, you know, but some schools are still here in Alabama, and I'm sure in Georgia as well, are going back and people are getting sick. And, you know, it just makes me very scared. Um, I kept thinking to myself as we were still kind of in limbo I really don't know how I would be able to continue to teach if one of my students got infected and you know passed away or was severely ill because we went back to school and I didn't protest enough or I didn't you know try to do something you know I just I could barely you know imagine a world where that happened and we hadn't tried to do everything we could to keep everybody safe you know um so, you know, I'm going to do the best that I can with virtual learning, and I'm really excited for the semester. I'm going to try to take that energy to my students so that they can at least feel like during our class, you know, we're excited about seeing each other and excited about discussing literature and writing. You know, hopefully everything will go okay. And I saw, I noticed a few educators um, who are so concerned, as you should be, concerned with your your well-being and the, especially the well-being of the students mm-hmm. um but they, they they made it they were upset because everyone made it seem that they were being they were it, it, they appeared insensitive um mm-hmm. to you all's health and i know two educators so far who actually quit mm-hmm. um their positions and probably uh, have no plans to teach in the future because of this the extremity of it and my like my sister is an educator in in Atlanta, and you know we were in a family um, chat, and it was just hearing the facts that she has to go back, and we kept asking like, why would this? Are they making any taking any precautions before they send you guys in? Are they gonna do virtual? Are they gonna do like a hybrid uh, situation? Like how are they gonna do it? And I've gotten I've seen some news clips. Um, I know one school actually had to shut down because they had to quarantine about a thousand students Wow! and um, I was like well it's like when you stick your foot um, in, a, in a pool and I like, guess cold and, and opposed and you're like well, I'm not gonna get in there just yet because this the, the temperature isn't good for me opposed to just jumping in and, mm-hmm. and and finding out that you may end up drowning or something else mm-hmm. severe uh, may happen but it just just in your own opinion why why do you why do you think that they were so eager to get students and everybody back in opposed to taking precautions as they should have well um i mean i was thinking also about the metaphor you just used which was really great about sticking your foot into the um pool and then you know taking out and, and after thinking oh i might drown and the thing that I think is happening is that people aren't realizing that even when you just stick one toe in the pool, that toe is still wet. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> like, people were saying things like, oh, well, we're only going to lose, you know, 1% of students or something like that. Losing any percent of students. They said bad. that? And 
when those conversations started happening, you know, talking about, oh, we're only going to lose so many, or we're going to go until we have to go back to virtual learning, like, all those conversations revealed to me, this is not about human lives at all. Hmm. This is about money, power, and politics. I mean, as we know, we're in an election year, and we know what kind of situation we've been in for the last four years, (laughs) you know, it's not been ideal um, (laughs) to say it nicely Um, and that particular person is very committed to making things appear good when they are not good we've seen it you know with the economy with the pandemic with um, racism with anything with his own life he tries to make it seem like it's spotless and it's not so I've heard from both sides of the situation concerning um, the reopening of schools. I've heard from the parent side who was worried about their kids, and I've heard from the the educational side as educators. You know them putting their lives on the line while trying to um, teach the kids of these parents. And I've heard parents, you know, glad for their kids to go back to school. There's some parents to want to keep them home and have them continue virtual learning. There are some teachers they rather just do strictly virtual learning instead of putting all lives in danger so it's just something to think about um but like she's saying it it seems like uh, the livelihood is second to last when it comes to priorities so continue to listen in to the latest episode of the glory on stories uh with miss ashley m jones and so i started to realize that all of this is tied back to that endeavor to keep that kind of person in power. Because if we're not back in school, then things are not better. If things are not better, then that person has failed. You know, and of course we know he already failed before he even stepped one foot in the White House, but (laughs) you see what I'm saying. (laughs) And so, um, you know, that's another thing that kind of made me really scared to realize that so many administrators were aligned with that kind of thinking um because you think you know people that you know in a more personal way um as a teacher like you think you know your superintendent or school board or whatever that they at least have enough tie to you that they would care about your life or they would you know not just do things for political reasons and in some cases i don't even know if they know that that's why they're doing it but there's a lot of power tied up into all of this um if it was about just making sure kids were safe all of these discussions of going back without proper precautions would never have happened yeah. it was about keeping people safe all of the, the workplaces would have found ways to get you know relief from the government the government would have given adequate relief you know mm-hmm. so people wouldn't have to go to work and there would be assistance for people um, who need money during this time the whole way this whole thing has been handled on every single level just reveals to me that it's never been about making sure we survive um and of course there were all the statistics about who the virus kills which again as soon as they said well black people get it more they die more from it i was like well all right now i see what's going on mm-hmm. nobody's gonna care until it's somebody else who's most likely to be killed from it yeah. and that kind of stuff just messes with your mind like it it really i honestly went through a lot mentally just based off of the school discussion like of course the other stuff was already there but I really was just like, what is going on, you know, and not even just for my school in particular, but just generally that so many um, of us teachers 
It just felt like people didn't care, didn't understand. You saw people online saying stuff like, well, y'all are lazy. Excuse me, y'all don't want to work. You just want, um, you know, some free time. You have the whole summer off. And that's not the case. I mean, you know, because your sister is an educator too. I don't know what kind of teachers they know, but we are not lazy. And working (laughs) from home or working online is, in fact, more work than being in the classroom. So... You know, um, that's kind of a tangent, but that's kind of the stuff that I've been thinking about <laughs> with all of this. And it just makes it all the more imperative that we get a handle on our government situation. You know, um, we got to get new people in office because this is not working. Yeah. So what have you what have you been doing for yourself, you know, to basically maintain your own degree of sanity? Like, mm. is, is this is is this affecting? And I'm pretty sure sure it probably is because it's affecting mine like is it affecting your creativity and um the ability to entertain yourself so that you you under, you see the way things are and these are facts and you're like okay this is the way it is and this is something that i don't have any control of so what do you do and pertain to the, those to those things aspects of your life that you can manipulate mm. um well like i said i've been trying to focus on on myself and taking care of myself um, because I honestly didn't do that very well before. Um, So, you know, as far as creativity, I I haven't written a bunch since I've been, um, you know, in isolation. At first, it was really hard to write anything at all. Um, There was not a lot of creativity going on, (laughs) you know. Um, But I've tried to just make time and space for myself, you know. Um, Thankfully, I've been working on edits for my book. Um, that's coming out next year, so I've been able to kind of put some energy into that and um, be very grateful for that. That has been very good for me, um, you know. And I've been watching a lot of movies and TV, and, you know, <laughs> Netflix, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, doing a lot of that, um, you know, and just reconnecting with my family, hanging out, talking, and sleeping honestly um that's really been huge for me it's just taking time to rest yeah um you know and just trying not to be too hard on myself there's enough going on in the world and you know if i wanted to just unplug and not talk to anybody or not get on facebook or you know not even think about what was going on and just you know dive into you know a 90s tv you know show or something (laughs) i let myself do that um you know read some books, um, bought some shoes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, just trying to do things that I enjoy, um, so that I would feel less crazy, honestly. Um, so yeah. So going, going back even further, I know, I think I've always wanted to dive into this a little bit, just to ask you, what, ins- have you, what inspired you to write? Is it something that you've been doing since you were young and that just evolved? Yeah, so I've actually been writing poetry since I was eight, um, and I've just been writing period since I was like seven, um, and that all came about um, just because as a kid, we, um, well, for when we didn't have cable, we just had the regular, you know, public channels, mm-hmm. and so at our house, the thing that we did for fun or whatever we, you know, filled our time with was always something educational, so my mom um, actually stayed at home to, um, stayed at home with us 
kids. There's four of us kids, um, and then my mom and my dad. And so my mom stayed home, and so um, every day we would read, we would write, she would teach us new words and how to spell things and how to count, and, you know, we worked on our motor skills and all that kind of stuff every single day. Um, so I was reading by the time I was three, and I always I remember just always loving books and um, the stories that were in those books. And when I went to school um, in the second grade, um, we were assigned to write our own stories. And I remember just being so excited about that, and I decided then I'm going to be an author. And so it's just kind of stuck with me since then. Um, I kept writing on my own, and I ended up going to art school from 7th to 12th grade. The school that I teach at now, actually, is the school that I went to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I studied in college and in grad school, and you know, here I am today. Um, it's just always been something for me that helps me to, uh, I guess, think through things. You know, I feel like people can talk to me for hours and hours, but you may not get to know everything unless you read some of my writing. Um, because I just feel like I can be the most honest with myself and with my reader there. Mm. Um, and it just makes me feel powerful, you know, like like my voice matters. Um, so, yeah, it's been a lifelong thing for me. I totally, totally get that. Because if, um, if I was to talk to anyone, I would tell them that I think poetry is my native language. Because mm-hmm. um, back in school... I didn't think I could articulate myself very well, but when I wrote something, it was the most liberating. I had the most confidence, and it was just the easiest thing to do as far as expressing how I felt. And my mom told me a while back, she said, because my family calls me uh, CJ for my nickname, and she said, CJ, I didn't know that you were going through any of this, the only way I knew is if I read what you wrote. I didn't, you know, I didn't know that you felt this way. I didn't know that you were, um, you know, going through adolescence or anything. I didn't. It's just a lot of things I didn't know uh, without reading um, your writing. And like you said, you know, that's uh, there is power in that. And it's and it's um it's a way to remind us of what we're capable of being and how much effect we can have on someone else and how much we can feed into an experience. And um whenever things happen, do you find yourself going back to your foundation, like with your family and everything that you've learned in order to continue to move forward because I find myself doing that a lot lately <laughs> like things will happen and then I was like why is this and then I would go back and I'm like oh that's that's why mm-hmm. yeah um, I definitely do that um, <laughs> you know it's kind of hard to move forward without kind of looking back at where you come from or things that you've learned um, and the older I get the more I rely on those lessons that I've learned, um, you know, earlier in life, um, the older I get, the more I rely on, um, you know, my ancestors or, you know, people who have passed or people who I align myself with, um, like, you know, writers that I like, or I find myself just going back to those words and those lessons and, um, you know, the things that 
that make me me, you know, because sometimes things will happen in life like what's going on this summer where you're just like, I don't know who I am, what I am, or where I am, you know. <laughs> um, so it does definitely help to go back to those things that you know are true. Like, I know my family is there. I know how they raised me. I know what my values are, you know. Um, so it can be like a grounding sort of thing. So what are some... It's probably a couple of subjects like like for me, I know one thing when I write one thing is very difficult for me not to mention is uh, father fatherlessness, um, um, insecurity, broken dreams, um, expectations um, and even the um, the racial climate like it's everybody's experience is different when it concerns that um, but it's when things happen as a writer is I can't I can't overlook it like it's mm-hmm. because it's a reality and um so so what is something and even you as a woman you have your own experience and now that as, as a black woman you have your own experience so what are what are some things that you that you know you can't you cannot you cannot avoid when you're creating mm. that's a good question um Let's see, if I had to say that I kind of touch on some things all the time, it would definitely be my southernness. That's something I write about a lot because um, it's something that I've kind of had to grow into. I mean, obviously I was born, you know, in the South. I've been Southern my whole life, but yeah. uh, maybe you understand this too. As a Southerner, you don't always love the South, you know, nope. growing up. And, nope, I, um, I understand. You know, <laughs> hmm? Yeah, I said, yeah, I perfectly understand. Mm-hmm. Um, like, growing up, I was like, man, I got to get out of here. Like, <laughs> this place is backwards, blah, 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 blah. But the older I got, I mean, really when I moved to uh, Miami for grad school, mm-hmm. I was like, wait a minute, no. <laughs> like, I love where I'm from. I love the culture. <laughs> I love the way people talk. I love the way people cook. You know, I miss everything, you know, about my home. And so I write about the South, and I am very vocal about um, how people really misrepresent the South, Mm. especially now when there's all of these um, very bold racists, you know, out in the world. Yeah. Um, Yeah. People are very quick to say, oh, well, that's y'all, you know, (laughs) y'all do that. We don't do that. And it's just not true. I mean, you can read all the history of our country and understand that the entire country was built on racism. All 50 states, not just here. Um, I mean, we display ours perhaps more openly than others, but it exists everywhere. So I write about the South a lot, not only to show my love for it and to show culture, but to make people understand that this is a place just like every other place. It's not some sort of, you know, garbage can of the country. Um, So that's one. I write about blackness a lot. being a woman, being a black woman. Um, what else? History, I write about. I'm trying to write more about myself and experiences that I've had instead of always kind of talking about the larger, you know, issues. Um, but yeah, I would say those things. The South, blackness, womanness, um, history. As you get older and get wiser like are you starting to find things out about yourself 
that you weren't aware of before like you know preferences and um like i'm trying to figure out um like for me like i love i love r&b music and i highly appreciate hip-hop music but it was it was hip-hop music that inspired me as a writer other than anything else anybody that you can mention in the literary canon nobody had more of an effect on me than um the hip-hop artists that came out the underground hip-hop artists that came out like in the early 2000s like that changed everything for me um but i love r&b music and over the years i tried to dabble in other things which i i enjoy but if i had to pick one that i love it would be that genre um and just other things in general that i just i don't like and i'm like i didn't know this obviously i didn't know this about myself in my 20s or even even younger than that but do you find yourself getting more and more into who you are to the point where you're like wow this is i'm shedding a different layer and i see something else hmm it's a good question um huh something that i am surprised to learn about myself well, I was trying to think when you were talking about music, um, if I had any of those epiphanies, um, you know, recently. And honestly, like, I guess what I would have to say that surprised me the most, now that I think of it, just music-wise, and I'll try to think of maybe another example, um, is, you know, I've always listened to gospel music, because my mom would make us listen to it um, in the car. We always had the gospel radio on. Mm-hmm. in the car and you know I, I associate it with her so I like it for that reason but I found myself really clinging to um, like traditional sounding gospel uh, for example there's this group called the Caravans and it has like a lot of um, like famous gospel singers Shirley Caesar was in that group mm. Albertina Walker was in that group and there was a couple others but um, that and I've been really into the Clark Sisters um, mm. and I like all kinds of music maybe I should have started there I love like everything um, every genre there's probably something one song or more that I really really love and you know I really believe there's a lot of power in music um, just like I believe there's a lot of power in poetry so I don't really I don't really discriminate um, with that um, but I have been surprised at how much I love the old Negro spirituals I really didn't know <laughs> <laughs> that I would um, but they just start to mean something else to you um, the older that you get. So that's definitely been surprising. So, um, hmm. so what have you been told about, because everybody has their own thing about when you re- when you turn 30, such and such is going to happen. Oh, what, Lord. <laughs> so, what, so what have you been informed prior to your birthday of things that you should be expecting in the future? Well, um, people have said that I will feel more, um, not relaxed, that's not what I mean, but like, I guess more comfortable with myself and more sure of myself and, um, you know, just less, less of that 20 something anxiety, mm-hmm. um, which has been true. I mean, I've been feeling that more and more leading up to this birthday, yeah. um, but I definitely, I just feel less like, I don't know, worried, you know, like I feel like. <laughs> I've lived long enough to see that there was always a way um, and that things will always work out, you know, somehow. Um, So I don't necessarily feel that same sort of anxious, like, you know, feeling. Um, 
there's a lot of expectations I had for myself when I was younger. You know, by age 30, I thought I would X, Y, and Z. And, um, you know, some of those things haven't happened necessarily. Um, mm. I don't have any kids. I'm not married. I don't yet own a home. I mean, that's on my, it's on my five-year plan. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> everything else that I've been planning um, has actually come to fruition. And I'm very grateful for that. You know, I've gotten my third book now except for publication um and this was kind of the plan that i had when i was 25 i wanted to when i finished grad school i was like okay i need to get my book out i need to keep writing write another book and by the time i'm 30 hopefully i'll have a few and maybe i'll have a phd don't have that don't want that (laughs) anymore (laughs) um you know i'll have a good job and hopefully i'll have started my arts nonprofit, and so far i've done all those things um so only thing left now is to keep writing and hopefully try to get this family of mine that I dream about together. Um, you know, if I can find somebody, <laughs> you know, to start it with. Um, but no, I feel like everything feels good. Like despite not having reached that, you know, personal goal of marriage and children, I really feel very proud of myself and I feel like I'm in the place that I'm supposed to be at this age. Um, you know, I feel confident and secure and ready for more. So I thought I'd do a quick plug concerning something that Miss Ashley M. Jones mentioned before. Uh, Many people are asking, why is racism chronically brought up amidst many conversations? Many think it's a thing of the past while our neighborhoods and streets say the contrary. I will personally say we will stop talking about it once we stop practicing it. This also goes for human sex trafficking, domestic violence, misogyny, political corruption. Uh, The list goes on. Let's be about change. Let's be about equality. Let's be about love for the fruits of the spirit are joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness and love. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. They can be a great people if they wish to be. It's a quote from Superman, the movie in 1978. It's what Superman's father, Jor-El, told him to remember about the people of this world. Let's choose to be great, period. And now back to the episode. I know one thing that I did not expect that I'll be indulging in more of our naps. Like I, <laughs> man, I need them. I just yeah, they change everything for me. Um, I guess I might ask you this one last question, um, mm-hmm. which will lead into the very last question, which I always ask all my um, interviewees. Um, what are what are a couple of what are some what are some things that you can list off that you hope people don't disregard social issues that people don't disregard in the midst of all this because the virus has really taken over the news um, and it's, it's it has caused it's and it's an obvious distraction it's, it's a needed distraction because it's affecting lives of course but what are some things that you hope people don't um, ignore in the midst of all this that we need to pay attention to um well, I mean, I guess the obvious thing is I hope people don't ignore our need to um, vote and not only vote, but actively work in our own communities to combat this just ridiculous, um, you know, oppressive system. Um, I hope that people <clears throat> understand that they can focus in on their own, you know, communities and um, make sure we don't forget about um, people who are homeless, 
for example, um, who need a lot of help. And during this pandemic, it's like even more dangerous for them. You know, we don't need to write them off. Um, we can't lose people just because they're without a home. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Um, but also, I think we need to really reevaluate our education system, too. I mean, mm. this has really illuminated That's a good point. problems that we have yeah. in our education system. Um, and I've even thought, I thought last semester when we went to virtual, that we might be spending too much time at school and at work anyway. Yeah. Our quality of life is not great um, if we're spending over half, maybe like even more than that, of our lives away from our homes, away from our families, away from just time that we can spend living our lives. Um, so I hope that that conversation happens once we get a new, you know, president and some new people dealing with education on a national level, because that lady is not the business at all. <laughs> <laughs> she does not care mm-hmm. about us. Um, and just really focusing in on our communities as people of color um, and realizing that we need to help each other if we're ever going to get rid of um the system of oppression we have to be there for ourselves too um and really lift each other up yeah and um i guess this one last question would be um what would you say you know from the as far back as you can remember up until this point uh as of recently you know uh, completing your 30th stepping into your 30th year of life um what would you say is the glory in your story Mm. let's see i think maybe i would say the glory in my story is um authenticity because if i look back over my whole life that is the thing um the one thing that my parents taught me that has really meant the most to every facet of my life. Um, I feel that, you know, I'm, I'm pretty successful as a writer and, um, you know, I love my job. I'm, you know, doing well there. And, you know, personally, I, I think I'm a person of good moral standing (laughs) that people can trust. And, um, you know, hopefully I'm a role model for people, um, as well. But all of that, all of the things that I've been able to achieve and the fact that I've survived, you know, this far, it all goes back to that first lesson of being authentic, being true to yourself, being honest, um, and knowing that you're enough. And holding on to that, even though I didn't always have the language for it, you know, when I was younger, I didn't know what it meant, you know, to to know that I was enough. Yeah. But that whole idea has really been what's carried me through. Um, Just never bending to any kind of peer pressure, always knowing that if I had decided I was or was not gonna do something, that that was enough. I didn't have to justify it to anybody. If I put my mind to a goal, I could achieve it because I'm enough, you know, I have all that I need within me already. Um, And that's what I wanna carry through the next 30, 40, 50, 60, however many years I'm able to still be here. That's what I would like to keep um, as a central part of who I am. That's uh, that's what's up. That's what's up. Uh, well, this uh, well, Ashley, I really, really appreciate your time again, and um, hopefully we can do some collaborative work again in the future. This again is you know, it's no telling how that's going to turn out. Um, 
but I do thank you for going uh, live uh, with me, uh, Anna, and Aaron um, months ago. Um, like you, you meet some authors sometimes, and they can be so about themselves and they find things beneath them, you know. Um, but the fact that you didn't shy away from that pop-up poetry event, um, man, that that meant the world to me and Aaron. It more probably more Aaron than me, but I mean, it meant a lot to me. But it really meant a lot to Aaron um, for you to come down and over for that, and um, to even have you on this podcast. Um, I just knew that if I interviewed you, you would have some a lot of enriching things to share simply by being yourself. And um, I highly. Um, from from writer to writer, from poet to poet, um, I, and from individual to individual, I I have much respect for you, and I'm just saying that openly because um, you cool people, <laughs> real cool people. So thank you. No, uh, no problem. Um, but for those of you who are listening, uh, this is the latest episode of the Glory in Our Stories uh, with me, myself, uh, Calvin Pima Jr., and Miss Ashley M. Jones. Yo, thank you for listening. Tune in next time for the latest episode of The Glory in Our Stories.